Hello and welcome to the place to be a Seinfeld podcast. I'm your host, Adam. And I'm Eric. On today's episode, we welcome actor Peter Mernick. Peter has appeared in a number of films and TV shows, including Justified, Granite Flats, Jag, Mindhunter, Armageddon, The Mist, Shameless, and ER. But Seinfeld fans will always know and love him for his unforgettable performance as Lieutenant Martell in the season four premiere, The Trip. And we are so honored that he can join us today. Thank you for being with us, Peter. Oh, it's my pleasure, guys. Great to see you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, so before we get into your role on Seinfeld, can you tell us a little bit about where you grew up and what your childhood was like? Okay. Well, yeah, I grew up in Concord, Massachusetts, and a uh, beautiful place to be from, wonderful historical part of our country. Absolutely. Uh, just had a, a pretty cool childhood there, and, and then uh, I went to prep school on the edge of town. My brother and I were day students, and we drove back and forth to Middlesex School in our crappy van, but uh, it was a great education, and got us out into the world. And uh, then when I was, I guess the summer of 1985, I moved to Los Angeles just for the summer and I stayed for 36 years. So here I sit. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I actually read that you attended the same high school as Steve Carell. I know he's a little older than you, but do you have any memories of going to school with him at that time? You know what? Steve Carell was a senior as I came in for orientation as a freshman. And this is a tiny place. Middlesex School is a, at the time was about 310 people, including the faculty, primarily a boarding school. But Steve, I believe, was class president. And so when all us little wide eyed, you know, freshmen were getting shuffled into the auditorium, he was the guy that greeted us. And he was really quite funny. And uh, I remember him being in place. My brother went to Middlesex as well. And he was two years ahead of me. I think Steve was the class of 1980. My brother was class of 81. And my brother did some theater as well. So when I remember seeing Steve in plays at the school. Oh, wow. Yeah. Awesome. It's funny. And actually, William Hurt went there in the 70s, uh, which was prior to my time, obviously. And a few other people. I just did an episode of NCIS in 2020. And the woman that played my wife was a woman named Jessica Tuck, who's a great actress. And she was in my brother's class of 81 as well. So it's kind of a funny, uh, a small <laughs> pool with a few people in it. So after high school, you attended Boston University. Uh, what was that experience like, and what did you major in during your time there? Uh, you know, it was kind of brief, to be quite honest with you. I, <laughs> I majored in art history and the, the minor in economics. I had loved art history at Middlesex. Uh, you know, Middlesex was six days a week, mandatory athletics every season. And I think by the time I got to BU, I was tired. And uh, I rode a little crew and went to school for a while, and that was the summer that uh, – the following summers when I got invited to come out to California to study acting. Now, growing up in Concord, Massachusetts, you don't think of being an actor for a living. You know, I remember seeing my right. pediatrician in a play at the local playhouse. It was more of a gentleman's hobby to me. But when I got to class at the Loft Studio in Hollywood that summer of 85, you know, Meg Ryan had just exploded. She was in the class. Sean Penn was in and out of the class. Uh, Nicholas Cage and Matthew Modine were working on their material for the movie Birdie. Angelica Houston was there working on her stuff for Pritzi's Honor. I was looking around. They're like, oh, my goodness, these people do this for a living. And what were those early years like in Los Angeles, just going out for auditions and, and different jobs you might have had? You know what? It was so much fun. Uh, honestly, it was a good place to be broke back then. So it didn't really matter. 
we'd buy cars. There was a thing called the recycler, which is like what Craigslist is today. You know, you could buy a car for 400 bucks. It would get you around and just be, you know, $400 apartments and everything. Money wasn't such a premium as it is here now. So it was really a fun place to be. I worked in nightclubs as a bouncer because I was big and strong and stupid. And, <laughs> and then bit by bit, I started going on some modeling calls and things like that. And then I got into some commercials and then I got into the union. And after that, I started, you know, I got some representation and started being able to go out and do some guest starring on TV shows and everything. And so it was just a really fun time. And I just felt like, you know, back in the, even the nightclubs were different and everything. We It was very creative scene. We had a guy named Matt Dyke was the DJ at this club that I worked at. And, you know, he went on to develop. Uh, he found Tone Loke and Young MC. And uh, it was just fun. You know, we had the Christian Azoy skateboard team flying through the chandeliers. The Chili Peppers were playing on stage. And we were just having a blast back then. Wow. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. Sounds <And> incredible. It, <laughs> Now a nightclub in Hollywood is, you know, getting in line and standing behind a velvet rope and taking selfies, which looks like zero fun to me. So I feel <laughs> blessed to have come up at a time when it was creative and there was a lot of energy on the streets and it wasn't just about being fabulous, you know. Right. <laughs> so after being in L.A. for a few years, you eventually landed the role on Seinfeld. Uh, when did you first hear about the role and what was your audition like? You know, it was funny. I, I still don't know why they picked me and allowed me to audition for that role because I was so much younger than the pool really of guys that they were seeing. They were seeing guys and, you know, I'm 55 now. They were seeing guys in their forties and fifties, guys that looked like old detectives and whatnot. But <laughs> for some reason they got me in there and I just, I know I was just so amped up about it and I was so excited and I kind of had this image in my mind of how I wanted to be this like super overly intense character. And uh, it was, <laughs> just a blast it was so much fun to work on that show at that time you know they'd been picked up for a couple seasons and they had all bought houses they didn't have time to furnish and there were a bunch of brand new Porsches in the parking lot and it was just it was kind of like giddy fun just a blast to be part of oh it sounds so great yeah so did you give your own personal spin on the character or was it written on paper you know, it was written on paper, but for some reason, I just felt like taking it to DEFCON 13, you know, of like being the overly intense amalgamation of every crazy <laughs> cop I'd ever seen growing up, you know. And uh, at the time, I was like super physically fit, really shredded. I remember uh, uh, Michael Richards grabbing me by the shoulders one time and being like, wow, wow, you're really crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it was just fun, you know, I was chewing gum and just constantly in this motion, you know, feeling like just super energized about it. It was really, really fun. Did they tell you to chew that gum or was that your choice? That was something that I decided to do. Oh, they were, all, you know, Larry David and Charles David, where they were so cool about just kind of letting it run. I mean, everybody, like I said, they knew they had a hit on their hands. They didn't, they weren't pulling back the reins on anybody, any of the characters. Oh yeah. yeah. It was so great. And Larry Charles in the DVD extras does a commentary for those episodes. And he does talk about, how Larry David kind of just basically gave him carte blanche, do what you yeah. want, said, this is your episode and I'm not going to even give you any limitations. I don't need to run it by me. Just do what you want. And it's a very cinematic episode. It's a very dark episode. Yeah. So it's just so, but it's just brilliant. It's just so brilliantly done. And it's such a unique one to be a part of. I think so. And it was really, there was just a feeling of synergy as everybody walked onto the stage for the first time and, you know, and shooting outdoors, they really didn't do that that much on that show. It was right. just 
mean, everything about it just clicked. And mostly it was the mood and the energy and everybody just wanting to punch the gas that made it so much fun. And it's funny that you mentioned a lot of the actors were older that were trying out for the part of Lieutenant Martell. Yeah. I was wondering, did you ever see Philip Baker Hall's performance as Joe Bookman on Seinfeld? Because it reminds us a little bit of your performance, just a funny, dramatic cop in a comedic role. Jeez, I haven't seen that. i got to check that out. Hold on. Because <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if maybe they thought it was too similar. They wanted someone younger as opposed to like an older. Oh, interesting. So it, like... preceded, it preceded the episode that I did. Was it in the first season? No, it was in the third season. Interesting. No, I haven't seen that. I'll definitely check it out. <laughs> and Bookman was another Larry Charles script. He's a big fan of cop dramas. Are you a fan as well? I am. Well, I mean, partly, you know, I've, I've played so many at this point. I always play authority figures, whether they've gone wrong or not is another matter. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I do love a good cop drama and I love a good detective novel. Yeah, I love The Shield. That was a great show. Oh, man, that was great because my buddy Chris Jacobs lent me his box set of The Shield while I was working on Justified. So while I had, you know, we always shot sort of in remote country locations in and around, you know, outside of Los Angeles. So we had long days on set and I just binged that box set of The Shield. It was so good. And like I was saying before, this episode had some very dark subject matter for a sitcom, especially. Um, so what were your feelings when you first saw the script and how did you feel about the character? Yeah, you know, I, I knew that he was going to be such a hardliner and, you know, so far off. I mean, there was no real I mean, it's funny because even when he scolds uh, his his deputy, you know, he's, he's you know, like, you see that person there? She's dead. <laughs> you know, it's like, he, he's trying to be sensitive. He's really a hardline. You know what I mean? So. Hey, Lieutenant. Yeah, this was found on a person. On her person? What kind of expression is that? I don't know, sir. Police lingo. Oh, yeah? What's your name, son? Ross. Ross. Do you see that person there, Ross? Yes, sir. She's dead. Have you got that? Yes, sir. Good. Now get out of here before you find yourself on transit patrol writing tickets to senior citizens with fake bus passes. Yes, sir. I think we just caught a break. I, I, I wasn't really taken aback by the nature of the material because it was just such goofy fun in a way. You know, the whole thing of picking up Kramer and making him cry and then letting him go and this and that. It was so all over the place that I never really got st sucked into the gravitas of, uh, you know, that it was an actual murder investigation and a, a serial killer. Right. Yeah. But it was funny. I mean, not funny, funny, but funny. Uh, you know, the summer when I was first in L.A., 1985 was when Richard Ramirez was out running around, oh. you know, so, uh, you know, the, the the notion I didn't we didn't have any serial killers in Concord, Massachusetts when I was growing up. So it was kind of a new thing that massive wildfires, you know, yeah. well, California. And um, your character was originally also called Joe instead of Johnny. And I think Johnny's a better name. But were there any other changes from the character from when you auditioned uh, compared to when you shot the scenes? God, you know, not that I really noticed, partly because I was so, I mean, back in the day, I used to get really nervous for auditions. And I was, for some reason on this one, I was able to convert that nervous energy into performance and got lucky with it. But, uh, I, you know, and I was relatively new to, well, first of all, I was totally new to sitcoms where they, you know, write and try things out. And then they meet together, you know, all the suits gather together and look and watch and, 
you know, trial rehearsals and things like that. So I didn't really notice massive changes to the character from what I'd sort of, you know, for me, the changes weren't really all that different from what I brought to the audition. And like we had mentioned, that episode was different in that they shot a lot of the scenes on location in L.A. and not in front of a live studio audience. So I'm curious, was there a table read for that episode? Yeah, there was. There was. So you were on the, the soundstage, like where they have Jerry's apartment and everything? Exactly. Yeah, at CBS Radford. Yeah, really, really. It's just it's so much fun to walk onto one of those lots because you just think of all the people that have walked onto those lots in the last hundred years. You know what I mean? It's just it really gives you a feeling for the history and about being an actor who's working. And it just puts you a little puts a little swagger in your stride, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and what was it like shooting your first scene in the park? Where do you remember who was there? Like what cast and crew members were there at all? Or? We were down in the um, I think it was actually right down beside behind cbs radford down you know there's like the la river which is actually a big concrete culvert and we were kind of down near there and i remember vaughn who played my partner and uh you know the director obviously but man i was just so focused on just being crazy and being you know just wrong-headed <laughs> <laughs> and what was it like working with everybody on set like did you like tom sharonis or larry charles or Anybody like that? I know Larry David wasn't really directing that episode or doing anything, but was he around at all? Yeah, they were all around, and it was fun. You know, they were, like I said, there was just so much excitement, and everybody knew that they had a hit on their hands, and so it was really just a great atmosphere. I mean, it almost felt like a party that which you would pause and then shoot a scene because everybody was so revved up, and you know, it was funny Jerry talking about the fish tank he was having installed in his place and like i said a lot of new porsches in the parking lot and just everybody in a great mood there were, i don't i don't remember a single dust up i don't remember any strife or friction on the set whatsoever during the entire shoot you had great chemistry with von armstrong who played your partner lieutenant coleman in most of the scenes you were in uh, what was it like filming those scenes with him and did you guys rehearse at all off camera when you weren't shooting your scenes you know we did a little bit but you know he was a little bit older than I and I think more experienced at the time and just a super cool down to earth guy. And he just got the tone right, you know, I mean, right off the bat, he knew exactly what we were doing. And so it was a perfect give and take. It just really, really fun to kind of, it wasn't really sparring, but it was just to kind of joust with him a little bit. It was really, really good. Oh man, <laughs> I, I could have watched you guys have your own cop show. That would have been fantastic. Oh, that would have been Your amazing. mouth, God's ear. We're still available. <laughs> what do you figure? 20? 21? Close enough. Forensics ought to be able to nail it down. No ID? No ID. No witnesses? Just the trees, Johnny. <laughs> Pretty young thing. She was. Not anymore. Somebody saw to that. Sure did, Johnny. Damn shame, too. What do you make of it? I don't know. But I don't like it. And you had mentioned that it was your choice to chew the gum. Do you know if it was his choice to have the toothpick in his mouth during those scenes? I imagine it was. Like I said, he's a skilled guy. And I like, you know, just the 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 tone was just right from him right from the get go. Oh, it was so great. I think we just kind of looked at each other like, OK, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> did you wear your own clothes for that scene or did wardrobe provide you with those? That's funny. There is a leather jacket that was my own personal property. And I think I had my one. of I love a good Western belt buckle. So uh, 
I think in the scene, one of the outdoor scenes, I did have my, um, I, I know I had my own leather jacket and then, which I used a lot for different jobs, modeling jobs and, and that job. And then uh, some of my own stuff and, and definitely one of my belt buckles. Oh, that was a great choice. And for that, that leather jacket just really pulled it together. Right like, on. Especially like, yeah, the young cop, like trying to, you know, make the scene. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Looked like the old detective. It was funny. There was one moment where I, uh, you know, I was allowed to walk off the set. There was a little convenience store right across the street from CBS Radford on Radford Boulevard. There's a sushi place there now. But I walked over there and I still had my badge on my shirt or on my belt. I was still totally <laughs> in character. And this guy who was roughly my same age at the time was there like with a skateboard, this kind of total California surfer. And he looked me up and down and then looked at my badge and said, you made lieutenant already? <laughs> I just looked at him and said, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. So much fun. And you had a second scene in the park later in the episode when you discover the body of the girl that Kramer was seeing. Did you shoot both of those scenes in the park back to back? And were there any issues of losing daylight since you were outside? No, you know, like I said, they were pretty clever the way they used, you know, the back lot there at CBS Radford and where, it, you know, it has some uh, outdoor space and, and kind of abuts that L.A. River thing. So they were quick about that, you know, and the thing, everything moved really crisply. I don't there was not a lot of sitting around or anything like that. That's the beauty of a half hour. You know, you you, you tend to get into your rehearsals and everything, but. We were shooting that one outside, so it was a it was a crisp operation, really good. So many talented people, it just kept on rocking. Yeah, it's true. And Seinfeld scripts were also very dense. They had a lot of material to cover and very quick scenes as well. Yeah. Um, so were there any scenes at the police station that got cut when you're interrogating the people? Because uh, we see the great scenes when you're interrogating that w- old woman, Helena, and you're mm-hmm. also interrogating the hippie dude. I don't know if there was anybody else that, you know, they brought in. You know, it, it was all really, I mean, those people were all sort of functioning at the top of their game. There wasn't a lot of misfires. There wasn't a lot of editing or throwing things away or trimming scenes. You know, everybody knows to the minute how how long things take. And Ricky Dean Logan was hysterical in that. Oh. <laughs> yeah, he was great. Look at these hands. <laughs> Look at these hands have been soaking in ivory liquid. Yeah, <laughs> man. Yeah. Super fun. He and I are still friends. We still keep in touch. Oh, that's awesome. awesome. Yeah, he was hilarious in that. So speaking of interrogation scenes, one of the highlights of the episode is when you interrogate Kramer at the police station. Uh, We've heard lots of different stories from people who worked with Michael Richards, so we'd love to know what your experience was like working with him in that scene. Oh, my God. I mean, that guy... He's just, I mean, he almost levitates, you know, he's, I was trying to be as high energy as possible, but that guy, if I was DEFCON 12, he was 16, you know, yeah. he <laughs> so energetic and, you know, he would kind of walk around and he looked like he was in, you know, almost not in a bad mood, but very contemplative and kind of quiet. And then all of a sudden, you know, that guy just springs to life and, you know, that hair that looks like a bunch of bed springs popping out of his head. <laughs> Just, he's, he's barely even touching the ground. The guy's a dancer, you know. It's unbelievable to watch him work. And it was just so much fun to, like, put him in the chair and just hold him down and, like, try to repress that energy as much as possible and just dominate him. Whenever he tried to talk, I'd cut him off. <laughs> and then when he started to cry, oh, my God, it was the best. Yeah. Oh. 
Super. And Kramer is such a lovable character, and we all know him as you know, the goofball, and all of a sudden he's in this serious situation, this murder investigation. He has this cop interrogating him, and it's like, oh, whoa, like, what a, yeah, what a change from how the usual we've seen him before. It was just so funny, you know, to, to, to just completely shut him down, shut him down, shut him down at, at, at every turn. And that was sort of my, you know, my my vision of Lieutenant Martell was that he was kind of like a shark, constantly moving forward, moving forward. And, you know, so even when he finds out that he's wrong about Kramer, he's just like, get him out of here. Let's go. You know, it's just like, <laughs> you know, doesn't even say he's sorry or anything. Just <laughs> powering forward. You know? And did you see multiple versions of that interrogation or was it pretty much the same? each time we probably shot seven takes and i think we ran the whole scene you know and the camera guys were dancing around a little bit but honestly we like it got up to a good level and we shot a few for safety but for the most part just kind of dancing in and out of that low light and getting under that that bell light with him and making him cry and all that you know even when i go over to the phone and like yeah yeah get him out of here you know (laughs) oh fantastic Hey, how'd you know about the guy in the park? <laughs> I said, get out. <laughs> Jeez, you guys know it better than I do. That's pretty good. Uh, we're sick people yeah, for Seinfeld. You need help. <laughs> I didn't kill anyone. I swear. I swear to God. Don't you ever swear to my God, Kramer. My God is the God that protects the innocent and punishes evil scum like you. Have you got that? You're making a big mistake. No, you made a mistake, Kramer. Sickies like you always do. The only difference is this time you're gonna pay. What? Now you might beat the gas chamber, Kramer, but as long as I have got a breath in my body, you will never ever see the light of day again. Whoa, 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 whoa! You got the wrong man. You know it wasn't me. Oh yeah, right. Maybe it was one of your other uh, personalities, huh? What? The wise guy, the little kid, the bellhop, the ball huh? player. What? Maybe the door-to-door vacuum cleaner salesman, but not you, right? No, you wouldn't hurt a fly. You just couldn't help yourself, could you, Kramer? You saw life brimming brightly with optimism and verve, and you just had to snuff it out. Can I talk to somebody? Can I just explain? I'm not even interested in your explanations, Kramer. Sure, I mean, I bet you've got a million of them. Maybe your mother didn't love you enough. Maybe the teacher didn't call on you in school when you had your little hand raised. Maybe the pervert in the park had a present in his pants, huh? Well, I got another theory, Kramer. You're a weed. No. Society's filled with them. Oh, yeah. Choking the life out of all the pretty flowers. You see something young, something pretty, you just gotta choke the life out of it. Don't you, Kramer? Huh? You killed the pretty flowers, didn't you, Kramer? Huh? You killed the pretty little flowers, didn't you? You dirty, filthy, stinky, weed, didn't you? Hey, you. Martell. Yeah. Yeah. Lieutenant, let him go. What, but Lieutenant? Jesus, you heard me. I said, let him go. Get him out of here. They just found another body up in Laurel Canyon. Oh. Go on, Kramer. Get out of my sight. Yeah, how'd you know about the guy in the park? I said, beat him. Did you improvise anything in that scene, and did you break it all? You know, I, I know I broke at one point. The first time he started to cry, I lost it because I couldn't believe it. When he starts to be like, Geek! <laughs> i couldn't take it but uh but yeah not a lot of improv i mean those guys are such talented writers i was definitely not at a place 
at my age and in my career where I was going to say, hey, you know, it'd be better if we did this or that. No, I'm going to try to do it their way as best I can, you know. Did Michael Richards get upset at all when you broke? Because he takes it very seriously. No, you know, like I said, it was a really good nature, almost a giddy vibe on that set. So we were happy to get through the takes without laughing or, you know, having having too much fun, you know. Yeah, I can't believe you shot that seven times. That's crazy. Yeah, but I mean, that's not a lot, you know, I mean, when I did Mindhunter, we were doing take 90, take 91, take, they were okay. Wow. We can keep going, man. So in the scene when you arrest Kramer, we see Larry David and Larry Charles in the background. Jason and Jerry were in that scene as well, even though you didn't act with them at all. Did you interact with them off camera? And if so, do you have any stories about that? Uh, just quite a bit. I mean, obviously, they were building their chemistry and, you know, I got to meet them and hang out with them. We hung out a fair amount on set because there was a lot of press buzz and everything like that. But as a guest star, you don't really get in the middle of that kind of action. You tend to hang back and let them have the have the stage. But they're both super friendly. And I love talking about cars with Jerry. He's a super Porsche. I mean, he's, have you seen Cars and Coffee? I'm sure you have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's a fabulous car guy and a really, you know, very, very knowledgeable about Porsches. So it was, it was just fun to hang out. Yeah, it was interesting listening to Jerry and Jason talk about their thoughts on the episode because Jason was a little concerned that it might have been a little wacky and out there, but Jerry just loved every minute of it. He just thought it was hilarious. When we got into, you know, Kramer being a murder suspect, I started to go, well, okay, we're getting into the the wacky a little bit here. We're getting, we're, we're leaving the world we started in. And I, you know, I, I noted it at the beginning of season, season four with, without much concern, but it was a note. It became a concern for me as we moved on. But at that point, um, that was my, my only note of it was that most people aren't friends with someone who's accused of murder. <laughs> you know, we, may be, we may be reinventing ourselves here. I don't know. I always liked when the... Uh when we went a little far afield, that was kind of the, a fun, that seemed to work well for us a lot of times, and we were kind of, didn't know what to do, had nothing to do, someone had, you know, in desperation, and you lunge for some crazy idea just for something to do. And, okay, so there's a mass murderer, and the smog, was it the smog strangler or something? And, and <laughs> what, they thought that Kramer might have been the smog strangler? I don't know. I, I love that stuff. Well, yeah, Larry Charles said that this was a very cinematic episode. So what was it like being on this show like Seinfeld? And how different was it compared to some of the other shows that you've worked on? Well, it was relatively early for me to, you know, in my career to do a show like that. You know, I was, you know, I was used to doing some guest starring on TV shows where, they're, you know, they just look at you and say, OK, yeah, do what you did in the audition. Moving on. Let's go. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, oh, I'm gone. By the time they learn your name, you're gone, you know. So on this, it was just fun, I think, just to feel the spirit of collaboration and excitement. And like I said, they knew that they were going to be doing this for a while. I think they got picked up for what they got picked up for like two seasons at once or something like that. So they knew that they had a hit. Uh, Who did you bond with the most on set and whose work ethic were you most impressed with? I think I watched because I worked with them most closely with Michael Richards. And like I said, it was it was interesting to watch him prepare and I kept my eye on him and just 
the way the energy shot through the roof when they said rolling you know what i mean all of a sudden like i said it's, it's almost like he's not touching the ground he, he tends to slide through the door and then vibrate over here and then over there and you're like what is going on with this guy and so in a way i was just trying to keep my energy up so i could at least get close to him you know what i mean and uh it was fun to have you know we we joked around quite a bit because we spent time together in the in the interrogation room and also uh, just on the set and we were relaxing but for the most part i think vaughn and i spent the most time together because we knew that we were kind of the the guest star outsiders let's see what's going on here you know we've been invited to this crazy party what's happening (laughs) uh what was the most challenging part about shooting your scenes nothing it was just so much fun honestly it was, it was a dream job and it's continued to be a dream job you know here we are talking about it so many years later and you know just a lot of people even it's so funny i mean look at me i'm bald as a cue ball and you know with covid we had to wear masks and everything and i tend to wear a hat and gloves and a jumpsuit when i go out in public and everything and <laughs> my, my favorite one of my favorite grocery stores over in glendale and this guy was like you were on Seinfeld. I was like, kid, you have a good eye because <laughs> I look like father time compared to what I looked like back then. But people really, really, they love the show so much. And I still get some nice checks every year. And it's just so much fun to have, to have that on my resume. You know, I've gotten some jobs just from having done Seinfeld. They're like, wow, you're a Seinfeld alumni, you know, royalty. And I was like, okay. <laughs> there you go. That's <laughs> really, really nice. And going back to what you said about how it wasn't really challenging shooting your scenes, it really shows on screen. I mean, just so natural and just so hilarious. It's just it's just fun. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny when you get a notion in your head as an actor of how you wish it could possibly be. And then you're allowed to run that direction and they get it, you know. You do this a totally different way and we want you to you know soften it and be i would have been like what you know that would have been really hard that would have been challenging <laughs> yeah you just nailed it every scene and every line that you had thank you thank you it's so funny because i think i remember waiting in the you know in the waiting room with the other actors who like i said were probably most most of them were at least 20 years my senior and just knowing like if i have a chance at this i've got to hit a home run when I go in there. So, I mean, that was it. <laughs> Do you prefer acting in comedies or dramas? Honestly, I prefer drama. And mm-hmm. I think the reason why I was successful in doing Seinfeld, which is obviously a comedy, was because I was allowed to be the overly straight man in that situation. <laughs> you know what I, mean? I don't feel like I'm the funniest person in the world. And there's so many friends of mine who are so versed in stand up and doing comedic things and sketch comedy and improv that I'm just wow you know so for the most part I really I enjoy you know playing authority figures that are messed up that's that's my favorite you know where the comedy is in the fact that they're so beholden to some skewed beliefs or whatever you know that that that's what makes them interesting right (laughs) (laughs) Um, did you ever audition for any other roles in Seinfeld I couldn't, you know, it was it was two and done, you know what I mean? Because those those were such, I think, popular episodes and there was just no way to to go back and pretend to be somebody else, you know, Mm. unless they did like some massive, massive uh, theater makeup and whatnot. It could have brought you back in the finale (laughs) to testify. (laughs) I would have been happy to do that. (laughs) You could have been the cop that brings them in. You moved to Latham, Massachusetts. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Do you have a favorite memory from working on Seinfeld that week? 
honestly, it was just the vibe, plain and simple, to be on that soundstage. And it was my first time really, you know, working in that format on a soundstage at the lot at CBS Radford, which is so legendary. And just being there and just sensing how excited everybody was to be there. There was just not, there was not a sour mood. You know, a lot of times you work on, particularly on the sitcom, the three camera format, and you've got, you know, it, particularly if it's a pilot episode or something early in the season and there's, you know, the suits are walking around and they're nervous and they're talking to each other and it kind of gets everybody going, oh, oh, there's this air of paranoia on the set. And that we just didn't have any of that because it was, like I said, it was a party and we just had to pause to shoot. That's nice to hear because that was also a big episode for them because I think they were promoting it around the Olympics. And that was one of the reasons why Larry David gave Larry Charles carte blanche. He kind of said because the network gave him some pressure to make it kind of Olympics related. Well, wow. Larry, in his way, just said, eh, no, <laughs> we're not going to do that. <laughs> so before we let you go, we're just going to get into our final segment. It's called This, That and the Other. Basically, we just ask you a question. And the first thing that comes to mind, you let us know. Uh Oh, OK. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. Yeah, right. First question. Favorite actor you've ever worked with? Boy, believe it or not, Randy Quaid. Oh, nice. Interesting. He's mm. changed. But back then, he was just a blast to be around. <laughs> I don't know what happened exactly, but man, we had so much fun. Uh, what role or performance are you proudest of? Gosh, you know, as far as being able to really develop the arc of a character, I really, I really loved working on Granite Flats, which was a mm -hmm. little-known project that BYU TV put up the money for, Brigham Young University, and it was kind of family entertainment. You know, it was pretty clean, but I loved being able to develop the role of somebody who was totally broken and rehabilitates himself through the course of time. And, you know, you need episodes to do that. So I was I was on that show for three seasons and I loved it. And it was one of the best shooting experiences I've ever had. As far as finished product, I would have to say Mindhunter, you know, mm. as far as an actual, you know, not comedic like Seinfeld, but an actual drama where all of the, I mean, I thought the other actors were fantastic. I thought the music cues, I thought the shots were unbelievable just to sit there and see the finished product be that tight and that beautiful and know that you're part of it. That was really, that was a big, big thing for me. Actor or director you'd love to work with someday. You know, I always dreamed about working with Clint Eastwood. I just nice. uh, loved particularly when he, I mean, I, of course I loved his West, his classic Westerns and everything, but then particularly Gran Torino and things like that. I just thought like that's something that has such a relevant social commentary and is so God, I mean, could not be more relevant to where we are right now as a society and a country. And I thought that he handled that really well. Do I love his political shenanigans? Not so much, but as far as really wanting to work on one of his films, that would, that was definitely a, a goal of mine, which may or may not happen. Yeah, for sure. That would, Definitely be like a great swan song to say you worked with Clint Eastwood. <laughs> no doubt. Uh, what is your favorite film? Ooh, that's so tough. There's some movies that come on that you just, you know, if you see it on TV or you're scrolling and you just like drop whatever you're doing to watch, you know, Midnight Run is like that for me. I mean, those performances in Midnight Run are so captivating and, and, you know, funny and poignant and intelligent. I mean, Charles Grodin is just fantastic in that, of course, De Niro's De Niro. 
Um, I love that movie so much. I love, you know, Goodfellas can suck me in pretty easily. Tombstone can do that to me just because of all those wonderful performances that go into lacing that story together. That's uh, those are tough. And then, you know, I also like some kitsch, like the Omega Man, the original one with Charlton Heston that they shot on the back lot at Warner Brothers. (laughs) (laughs) I was allowed to stay up in fourth grade before I was going on a ski trip with my uncle. And we watched Omega Man, remember? Then they like powdered all the black people's wigs and, you know, painted everybody green and gave them light contact lenses. I don't think I slept for like three months. Uh, favorite meal any breakfast burrito on any set anywhere you know when you (laughs) run out of work for a while and then you get to go to your trailer and they knock on the door would you like some breakfast peter i was like breakfast burrito spicy when they bring that little foil bomb to your door that is the best (laughs) feeling as an actor i think because you know you're actually on set with a gig in your hand you know (laughs) nice (laughs) the one role you didn't get that you really wanted Oh, God. You know, there's so many. I, I just can't even. One was a, a a thing that Sean Astin shot. It was just a short film, but I felt I was so perfect for it. It was called Kangaroo Court. And it was about a cop in Brentwood, California, who had, you know, basically displayed racist tendencies and was trying to justify them. They They basically take him captive and put him in a basement to make him answer for his actions. And it was just I mean, I crushed that audition and i was so bummed i didn't get it and i just felt i mean i was actually while they were interrogating me i was actually sweating and i really felt like i was so in it but you know part of being an actor particularly as a journeyman who doesn't have one role that really defines their career it's like you just got to say next and move on you know and you can't get too down you know you got to say hey i did everything i could that was in my power let it go after that uh, favorite story working on the set of a film or TV show? You know, I think one of my favorites, and I'm not sure exactly how old I was. I was in my mid-20s. It was not too far off this time of doing Seinfeld. But uh, I did a movie called Golden Gate, which was one of the most beautiful scripts I've ever read by David Henry Huang. And uh, I was working with Matt Dillon and Bruno Kirby. I mean, the late, great Bruno Kirby and Matt Dillon, who I adore and who is so much more intelligent and has real staying power than, you know, most people, I think, perhaps gave him credit, you know, when they thought he was one of these Brat Pack guys. And he never really was that. But uh, we were just getting wrapped and on the set and uh, it was my birthday. And they both came over to me and said, we're taking you out tonight. Oh, wow. I'm, my 20s. I'm in San Francisco and these movie stars want to take me out for my birthday right now. Are you joking? <laughs> it was just like mind all over the ceiling. You know, wow. so much fun. Oh, where did you go? Did they like take you out to dinner? Yeah, we went out to a beautiful Italian restaurant in San Francisco. And, you know, when I went to reach for my per diem, they were like, your money's no good here, kid. Don't worry. About it. <laughs> it's the best. That's oh, great. Wow. Yeah, super fun. And the favorite moment in your career so far? Oh, God, there just, there's been so many great ones, and it's such a wonderful way to make a living. But when I was a kid, I had done, like, some Pepsi commercials with David Fincher when he was kind of starting out as a director. And then all this time goes by, you know, whole lifetimes, kids grown, marriages, divorces, deaths, this, that, the other. And I had heard that he was kind of a tyrant and that he was a yeller and this and that. And I wasn't sure he'd remember me because he's had such a huge career. 
when I got hired for Mindhunter and I got, you know, summoned to his compound on Hollywood Boulevard to do the table read for Mindhunter with the other actors. And I kind of meekly, which is hard, I'm 6'5", it's hard to be meek. (laughs) I was was meek going through the door into the table read there. And, you know, I was just wanted to kind of say hi as calmly as possible when he stood up and he walked around the table and said, Mernick, and just gave me the biggest hug in the whole world. You know, I was like, (laughs) God, and we had so much fun shooting that. And that was dark. We had a lot of fun shooting that, though, in Pittsburgh. Great place to shoot, great place to live, great place to eat, and just a wonderful set to be on. Oh, that's great to hear. Uh, and before we let you go, what's the latest project you're working on that we can look forward to seeing you in? All right. Well, right now, uh, I just had a couple episodes of Animal Kingdom come out, which I was excited to be on because I think those are really fine actors, all those guys and girls. Uh, that was super fun and shot during COVID, which is, you know, another odd dimension of of work life to to be dealing with that and mask on rolling mask on you know all that on cut put the mask back on you know mm-hmm. all that stuff's really a, a mental challenge but uh, right now i'm working on a movie called all the colors of the dark which is a thriller sort of set against immigration issues and i think it's going to be really good oh well we look forward to seeing you in that and we thank you so much for joining us and for telling us your story about being on seinfeld we absolutely loved your performance we can't thank you enough for joining us today yeah Yeah, this was really great thank you guys so so much for having me i appreciate it yeah thank you so much this was yeah this was really great i was really excited for this one (laughs) right on thanks again we hope you have a great night i'll talk to you soon take care you as well be good guys have a good night Thank you for listening to our interview with Peter Mernick. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at theplacetobeseinfeld at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook at The Place to Be, a Seinfeld podcast, Twitter at TPTB Seinfeld, and Instagram at theplacetobe.podcast. You can find our show on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, and Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like, please rate and review. It really helps us out. Until next time, be sure to hang up your pants for the perfect crease. Issue an arrest warrant. Put out an APB. Let's pick up this uh, Kramer. <laughs>